Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Scuzz. S-C-H-O-U-S-B-O-E. You're not, you're not going to finish it? Don't, no, I'm not going to chant you have to my say name Scazbo, like they chant. Scazbo, Scazbo, Scazbo three times? No, I'm not going to chant my name like they chant uh, Minnesota, but I thought it'd be fun. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you very much for that. Uh, so, yeah, we're talking Minnesota tonight. Um, I think <laughs> PJ Fleck and the Fleck Tones entering his fifth year uh, at the helm, rowing the boat of the Gophers. Three and four last year. Um just you know, a marvelous few, three and four last year. Yeah, few leaks, few leaks in the boat. Yeah, um, so they they were pretty lucky to get to three and four. They they didn't play us. They uh, you know had a, quite a bit of COVID issues, but uh, you know coming to this year, John, a lot of defensive starters back. But uh, <laughs> in in they sure do. They sure have a lot of starters back. Uh, so, uh, oh my God, everyone, gather around. I have incredible news. Would you believe that the team whose defense traveled all the way down the road on the tires of the previous administration until the rubber was worn all the way down to the rims without ever once building for the defensive future fell off a cliff defensively as soon as those guys were gone? Shocking, I know. Yep, it happened exactly the way we said that it was going to happen. The Gophers were once a good defensive football team, and then for two years, they were the mirage of a good defensive football team, and now the mirage is gone, and just like Sammy said, everyone's back. In other words, no one is back. Um, Minnesota is probably the team that best exemplifies the fact that these are not the defensive glory years of the Big Ten Conference in a top-to-bottom sense. There's Northwestern, Iowa, Wisconsin, Indiana, Penn State, Ohio State, and then everyone else. And OSU was rough last year. So Minnesota is a perfect example of what I'm talking about. This was somehow the number 10 total defense in the conference and the number 9 scoring defense in the conference last year, which means... Four to five teams were worse than Minnesota, and Minnesota was atrocious. In fact, Minnesota is a solid dark horse pick for worst defense in the conference, and here's why. There may be teams who gave up more points and more yards than the Gophers, but consider this. Minnesota had the number 12 run defense in the conference in terms of total yardage, But the Gophers gave up, fasten your seatbelts, 6.3 yards per carry on the ground. Wow. 6.3. They were destroyed against the run last year. So let's explain why. Allow me to once again hammer this home. Because it's 100% true, it's not a cliche, and it's so crucial. Culture matters. The personality of a team impacts the kind of guys who are brought into a program, and it impacts the guys these guys turn into. 
So regardless of what you think of Jerry Kill and Tracy Clays from a character standpoint, those guys were defensive bedrock coaches, and they really built something in Minneapolis on that side of the ball. P.J. Fleck walked into this perfect situation in that he had the ability to quickly develop something on the offensive side of the ball while taking advantage of all of the holdovers from that previous culture. But there was always going to be a ticking clock on that because Fleck just ain't a defensive guy, and he just hasn't maintained that defensive culture at Minnesota at all. So now, Minnesota defensively is basically, for all intents and purposes, where Nebraska is right now. And at this particular point in time, Nebraska probably has the edge simply because they have more impact guys than Minnesota. The commonality between the two teams is like a lack of cohesion and depth. Speaking of impact guys, you're probably noticing that I've gone an awful long time without mentioning any actual Minnesota players. That's not an accident. Um, It's not too hyperbolic to say that Minnesota has one single guy who truly matters. That would be Boye Mafe, a solid rush end who really could become a double-digit sack TFL guy next year. He may even explode. Like, this guy really may be one of the best defensive linemen in the conference. But that's it for the D-line. This team is going to tell you, um, they're going to tout defensive tackles Micah Du Treadway and D'Angelo Carter. But these guys are 320-pounders who didn't control the line and didn't get into the backfield, which is basically the job. But the real issue is that Minnesota's linebackers were just horrendous. So, so bad. It may be true that no team did less with more than the group in Ann Arbor, and that definitely puts the Wolverines in the running for worst linebackers in the Big Ten, but Minnesota's group is right there with them. To put a finer point on it, it's Mario Sori Martin and no one else. And here's the thing. This was all known coming into the year. Because Sori Martin was the worst backer in the 2019 linebacker core. He was the only one coming back into 2020. And the Gophs weren't even a good run D in 2019. And last year's group is the same group coming back this year. A group that allowed Minnesota's safeties to finish second and third on the team in tackles. A group that gave up, once again, 6.3 friggin' yards per carry. Do you want me to talk about the secondary? Okay. Um, I mean, Corey Durr is a very solid cover corner. Honestly, he's one of the better ones in the Big Ten. He, Mafe, and the aforementioned safeties, Tyler Newbin and Jordan Howden, helped keep a unit with almost no ability to get to the quarterback, somewhat respectable against the pass. Great. Good for them. Guess what? This defense gave up Barry Sanders' numbers on the ground last year, and they're just going to run it back with all the same guys. Do you think Northwestern is planning an air raid attack against the Gophers this year? Uh, no, we are not. It's going to be Cam, Cam, and more Cam. So again, the Gophers are headed the wrong way defensively under Fleck, and if they don't level out, which it doesn't look like they will, it very well might submarine his future in Minnesota. They need answers fast from someone other than Mafe in the front seven. They're not the first name anyone throws out when they talk about the Big Ten's worst defenses, 
but they probably are going to play themselves into that conversation this year. Uh, so, Scuzz, offensively, uh, Tanner Morgan's back for his 14th year. Um, Mo Ibrahim's back, uh, but without, you know, who are they who are they throwing the ball to? Yeah, it's a big question. Um, so I, you know, I, I want to go, I want to go backwards a little bit. I think everyone might remember how badly I missed on the Gophers in 2019, but I got them right last year. I said the offense would be good, but they, that they couldn't possibly reproduce 2019 numbers. And that was for three reasons. One defenses were going to be able to key on Rashad Bateman uh, versus having to pick between him and Tyler Johnson uh, Two, the loss of Kirk Chiroka. And three, the drastic increase in schedule difficulty would take away all those creamy frosting games where they piled up points in 2019. And so in 2020, uh, Minnesota dropped back into the middle third of the conference offensively. Tanner Morgan regressed to match his freshman year numbers. Uh, Rashad Bateman was still very, very good, although opted out for the last two games of the season and was clearly contained effectively by defenses. His per-catch average dropped from 20 yards down to 13. And Chris Hotman bell who became, you know, the, the number two guy overall, he put up fine numbers, but in those last two games of the season where Bateman was gone and, and Bell was essentially the number one receiver, he didn't look great. And that included going up against Nebraska's secondary. So you know, it's hard to dig into the like the raw numbers, but I dug into the distribution. In 2019, 43% of Minnesota's yards came on the ground. That ballooned to 56% of their offense in 2020. Now, I will note here that Mohamed Ibrahim, Mohamed Ibrahim is a phenomenal running back. Um, put up virtual, virtually identical play per play stats in 2020 as he did to 2019. And interestingly, Minnesota actually threw the ball more often last year than they did in 20, 2019 relative to, to how many times they ran the ball. So it's... It's kind of a weird. It's kind of a weird situation, and it just it just demonstrates to you how ineffective the passing game was uh, in the post Shiraka, post you know Tyler Johnson era. Those last two games of the year, when Bateman wasn't playing, they were two of Morgan's absolute worst of the season. He was sub fifty eight percent completion in both of them, and that was against one really good D in Wisconsin and one really bad one in Nebraska. Another interesting oddity, this is kind of similar to what I talked about in our Michigan preview. So the O-line at Minnesota was supposed to return all five starters last year. And then their massive left tackle, Daniel Falele, uh, the six foot nine, 400-pound dude, and one of their guards, Curtis Dunlap, these are two of their best run blockers, they missed the entire season. But stunningly, the, the run game didn't suffer at all. Uh, their O-line advanced stats actually got a little bit better. And then their sack percentage improved dramatically. But despite all of that, Morgan's accuracy dropped eight percentage points. So just like some goofy stuff going on. And, and it boils down to their offense post-Kirk post Shiraka just didn't operate as well. Now, coming back this year, Sam mentioned it. They returned just about everyone except for Bateman. They also lose their short their short yardage running QB. Um, but they also add a couple of interesting pieces. So first, the O-line. It's back to full strength. Falele is a mammoth. He's he's an enormous human. Um, he's not an ideal pass blocker. I, this, this was a big struggle for them in uh, 2019. But they have a lot of other tenured and talented guys here. The two deep is is like looks really good for all the recruiting struggles that, or, or you know cultural problems that they have on the defensive side. Like recruiting offense, awesome offensive linemen is something that that PJ Fleck has uh, has built and and built into the psyche at Minnesota now. 
Uh, most outlets think that this could be the best offensive line in the conference. Uh, from a run standpoint, I tend to agree. Like they look amazing, but I have to wonder if that sack rate could be could become a problem again in 2021. I mean, Tanner Morgan is not uh, not a fast dude. Ibrahim uh, returns again. He's going to be dynamite behind that line. Uh, it's also worth noting that there's three other running backs with experience. Cam Wiley being the most effective from last season. It's just a really solid group for Minnesota. But this is where I want to I want to talk about Mike Sanford Jr. So Mike Sanford Jr. is the offensive coordinator. If you go back and look at his coaching history and where where he gets most of his influences from, uh, he spent three years early in his coaching career with uh, with David Shaw at Stanford in the immediate aftermath of, of Harbaugh leaving. Uh, then he spent a year working for football demigod Brian Harson at, Bro- at Boise State before going to Notre Dame for two years, and then spent two years as Western Kentucky's head coach in the immediate post-Jeff Brome era, where I'll mention that Western Kentucky had their worst two offensive years of the last decade. Now, I, don't, I know that none of these teams really run like what you would call a pro-style offense. Like, it, you know, everybody is doing more with RPOs and passing and this, that, and the other thing. But, you know, David Shaw and Brian Kelly ain't exactly doing the super exciting stuff that you would like to see, um, a la Kirk Shiroka. <laughs> And when I think about last year's massive shift to, you know, the running game in terms of production and just all the disruptions of the passing game, the loss of that kind of balanced RPO attack that was so vicious in 2019, some of it is certainly about the decrease in the wide receiver talent, you know, going from having Bateman, Johnson, and Ottman Bell down to just two of those guys and then one. But some of that change has got to be philosophical. Sanford strikes me as your classic hard-nosed run-the-ball type coach. And I'm not trying to throw throw stones because we live in a glass house to that regard as well. But like it's kind of understandable that with Ibrahim in that offensive line, you would exactly do that, except that that's not what makes good offenses in 2021. And now the talk in the spring in Minnesota is that, oh, you know, Tanner and I now have had a year in the offseason. We're on the same page, yada, yada, yada. We're, un- we're understanding our, our lingo and the offense better. I would argue that that offense of Sanford's doesn't have a great track record and most often really relied on the threat of a running quarterback. His last year as an offense uh, before coming to Minnesota was at Utah State where he had Jordan Love. And Tanner Morgan is not a fleet of foot uh, quarterback. When the deception in your offense is designed off of a QB's ability to run versus that like blistering and relentless RPO style that Shiroka threw at you, it becomes really clear how and why Morgan reverted to his freshman year form last year. Now, the upside for this offense, beyond the the O-line and the run game that I mentioned, is that Tanner Morgan has an incredible QB brain. He's an ultra-quick processor. He makes really good decisions. Uh, if he is truly more comfortable with Sanford and vice versa, you could certainly see his stats improve. And, I, you know, I think he could land somewhere between his 2020 and 2019 numbers, like, say, 62% completion, a, a two to one or, or better uh, TD to pick rate. That, I mean, that would be pretty. That'd be pretty good for for Morgan. Um, a much harder challenge is going to be getting up the yards per attempt. That's what really set Minnesota's offense apart in 2019. The efficiency metric was what blew my mind in 2019. Uh, so, you know, Morgan put up nine plus yards per attempt. Um, you know, in, in the what the back half of the season 2018 when he when he took over Zach Anikstad. And that number was matched only by Dwayne Haskins, uh, which I thought was preposterous. And I talked at length about that uh, when we previewed the Gophers in 2019. And then he improved it. He did a 10.2 yards per attempt in 2019, which is just ludicrous and unheard of. Last year, 
in the Sanford offense dropped back to a, you know, still above average, but much lower 7.5. It's respectable, but nowhere near the output that you saw two years ago. And everyone is saying, oh, Minnesota returns this great O-line and they're running back and Morgan, and they've got maybe, maybe some guys that could play at wide receiver and like, yeah, they can get back to those 2019 numbers. I don't think so. This is where the wide receiver piece becomes a big deal. So Bateman, I, I seem I seem to recall they lost someone at that position. <laughs> yes. So I mean, Rashad Bateman and, and, and Tyler Johnson were really an incredible duo um, a couple years a couple years back, and now they're both gone. And the third member of that of that 2019 team, Chris Altman Bell, becomes top dog, and he's simply just not as good as those other two guys were. No matter what any Gopher fan tells you, he is fast, reliable, and has a long history with Morgan, and that's great. But then there's a big question if the guys around him can be good as well. So Daniel Jackson played a bit last year. He looks pretty solid. He's just your typical 6'2 receiver. The, you know, the, the moonshot here is that Dylan Wright, who was a big-time four-star Under, uh, Under Armour All-American who transferred from Texas A&M, he's got a big body, 6'3", 215. He could have played at literally any college that he wanted to. Uh, decided to stay home in Texas, went to A&M, like I said, couldn't get on the field, wanted to play soon, so he's, he's transferred up to Minnesota. He's described as being great with 50-50 balls, excellent hands, like attacks the ball and, and pulls it to him in, in those uh, in those toss-up situations. This sounds so much like Rashad Bateman to me. It's scary, especially because this guy has a much better recruiting pedigree than Bateman had. I mean, we're going to have to see, though. In two years, he couldn't get on the field at A&M, and it, you know, we're just not sure if he's going to be able to live up to his billing. If he does... Like Minnesota's got another great one on their hands, and I think they have an opportunity to, you know, mat, you know, improve on last year's numbers maybe immeasurably. I still think 2019 is totally, um, totally out of reach. But all that being said, like this new system, and this is why I think 2019 is out of reach. It's just more conservative. It's less dynamic. It's less multiple. It's easier to defend. I mean, they're going to score points. They're probably going to be middle of the conference as an offense. They're going to be great on the ground. Is any teams that can't stop the run? Like, Minnesota's going to be able to control the ball on the ground. And there's, you know, reason to think that maybe that the passing production could get better, but I just I don't see them being able to put together a, a dominant or or maybe even a winning season unless they get more help from the defense, and it doesn't sound like they're going to get that help. Their schedule does them no favors either. Um, yes, they, sir. <laughs> uh, they open up the season Thursday night at home against Ohio State. Uh, then they get Miami, Ohio, uh, traveling out to Boulder uh, before coming home to take on Bowling Green. You, you know it's not a good sign when you're scheduling your Mac school for your homecoming. Uh, but that is what Minnesota's got. Uh, Bowling Green is their homecoming. They're at Purdue. Then they get their bye home for Nebraska, Maryland. Then they travel to Evanston on uh, the day before Halloween, Halloween Eve, if you will. Uh, home for Illinois, at Iowa, at Indiana, home for Wisconsin. Cross, uh, their crossovers, Maryland, Ohio State, and Indiana. Ouch. Ow, yeah. I mean, that, that's that's brutal. It's just rough. Why wouldn't you make Nebraska your homecoming? Maybe, yeah, that, maybe, that, the, maybe, the, maybe the Nebraska people show up in too great a numbers? I mean, isn't that why we always, like, occasionally would schedule, like, Ohio State for homecoming? Because we knew we would draw more? Uh-huh. I, I guess so. So speaking of big programs historically, here's something that I kind of want to dig into here. Um, a comparison to a team who is not on Minnesota's schedule. Tell me Minnesota is not the Michigan Wolverines this year. 
I and and it's funny because as negative as we were on Michigan, I look at all of this and I start to think that for everything we did to neg Michigan, we still fell into the uniform trap a little bit because I I feel like they're the same team. And I look at this schedule and I'm like, Minnesota's going to be bad this year. Like it could, they could be really bad. And I'm like, if like, what does Michigan have over Minnesota? Well, Chris Hinton Jr. on the defensive line and Donovan Jeter on the defensive line. And everyone's going to be like, well, Michigan's best defensive lineman is Aiden Hutchinson. Yeah, but Minnesota's best defensive player is there as a defensive end. Boy, Mafe. So I'll give you those two guys. But it's like everything Scuzz talked about when we talked about Michigan on offense. Like Minnesota has that, but they also like Michigan's hoping that the quarterback. Minnesota knows that they're going to have a good quarterback. Michigan's expecting Donovan Edwards to be a great run. Minnesota knows Ibrahim is one of the best running backs in the conference. Both teams are repairing their offensive line, but should be great at the offensive line. And it's just like, I'm looking at all this and I'm being like, I, I factor all this in and I look at the defense and I'm like, I think Minnesota's going to get smoked against this schedule. And then I'm like, well, if that's true, it ought to be true of Michigan too. And, and again, that's not, I think, Minnesota's probably going to be sweet running the ball. I just don't... It's just it's just funny because this all started where I was like, how often do you see a team that is awesome running the ball and potentially not dominant in any other phase? And I was like, oh, we literally just previewed that team. Well, so, <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty sure we were all clustered around like 6-6 six and six for Michigan because their schedule is tough as well. Um, yeah. I mean, I see seven wins on this, on this Gopher schedule. Like seven... You think so? I mean, so That's, Miami of Ohio, at Colorado, Bowling Green, at Purdue, Nebraska, Maryland, Illinois. Why couldn't they win those seven games? No, they I, totally. I think Colorado is going to be a little bit better than people are giving them credit for, but uh, that might no, be a little homerism. That, it's it, it's tough. It's fair. tough to go to Boulder. Yeah, no, and I mean, I just think Scuzz, you talked about. I feel like indirectly way back when we talked about. Uh, Michigan State that Colorado's offense immediately got better when Mel Tucker left. Well, if, if that's <laughs> if did. that's true, congratulations, Colorado, because you get to play the Minnesota defense in week three. Um, yeah, but I mean, if the, if I if I'm comparing, uh, they've you know Phil Steele's got got the Gophers as um, fifth in the Big Ten East and has Colorado as fifth in the Pac-12 South. So. Yeah, and that's a Colorado team that was a half game out of the Pac-12 South title. I mean, they could have been playing in the Pac-12 championship game if uh, USC's COVID numbers hadn't come down. Right, and like, I think they they had their bus like halfway between Boulder and uh, wherever they were playing the Pac-12 championship game because they weren't sure where they were going to be playing. Right, right. So I mean, anecdote, I think... but that doesn't that doesn't you know whatever. Right. I just, it's so funny because I, again, it's like to say the Michigan thing, I feel like there's so much of a retread here because I'm like, Minnesota's like Miami, probably Colorado, Bowling Green, Purdue, Nebraska, Maryland, and Illinois. Minnesota's going to pile up rush yards on those teams Yep. to discuss his point. And then it's like, but it's so funny because I think partly because of the culture of like Northwestern and the hard edge thing. And then, you know, there's so many teams like an Iowa or a Wisconsin, et cetera, where you want to put that hand in hand with a team just being rock solid in the trenches on both sides. And that's not the Gophers at all. Um, 
it's like this team is probably really going to run the ball well and then just get torched on the other side of the ball, um, you know, particularly on the ground. So, you know, you know, what's wild thinking about Iowa, because I was looking at that game and I was like, well, I mean, that is a rivalry game, like crazy stuff happens. And then I just quickly looked. They haven't beaten Iowa in at least six years. My magazine no. doesn't go further than back than that, right? Right? Right here. I mean, like. Well, and that's and that's the thing too, right? Like, there's a wing of their their schedule, right? There are five teams on their schedule where I just, you know, there there are five teams that stop the run, and that's and again, it's like because I feel like you did a good job, and and and. Like, you've done a better job than anyone of mapping out just how good Tanner Morgan can be. But you you make it seem like he's kind of handcuffed to this offense and he's losing two NFL receivers. And I'm just like, I don't know. I, I just wouldn't have my hopes too high on Tanner Morgan if I was the Minnesota faithful. And against, I just don't have hopes that against the teams that stuff them against the ground that he's going to find a way. I just don't know that that's going to happen. My, my favorite thing I read preparing for this was um, a recap of the Minnesota spring game, I believe on SB Nation, that talked about like, you know, Tanner Morgan took the took the maroon offense down the field and, and looked great doing it, and then Zach Anikstad took the gold offense down the field and looked going good doing it, and I thought that's that that doesn't make anybody <laughs> feel better. Yeah, right. Exactly. That, that's the indictment of the defense more than anything yeah, exactly, else. Exactly. Right. There's one. There's one name I f- I feel like you missed, John. And that's Niles Pickney, who who transferred here from Clemson, but um at DT. But I, like your point is well made. I don't know that that matters with regard well, and to plus, the linebackers. Well, and, Min- and Minnesota really tries to sell that they've got. I mean, again, they have six hundred close to six hundred fifty pounds of DT listed, yeah. and they'll be like, "These are our guys. Look at that beef." And it's like, no. Six point three yards a carry is six point three yards a carry. Whatever they were doing, <laughs> was it wasn't working. But the one so the one defensive wrinkle that I will say can, right can is, I say not just six point three yards per carry, they gave up like there's only there's only one year that it's been higher in the last eight years, and that's sixty four percent on pass completion. Oh well, I mean it's just like oh. they're they're it's because they're. I mean, their linebackers were so... Because remember, their secondary is good, but their linebackers just contributed nothing. And they have kind of one impact pass rush guy. But again, it's like, if you're absolutely atrocious in one of the two phases, it totally skews what the numbers are going to be on the other side. Because the other team can just run play action whenever they want. And it's like, what are you going to do? You're already totally selling out for the run and it's not working. But it what will be interesting... And this is where I'm kind of mentally trying to go back over, the, you know, the offensive previews you've already done, Scuzz, is, is if they play a team with a bad defense and a good passing offense that can't run, that's a formula that the Gophers can exploit. So I don't know if that applies to like a Maryland potentially um, or a Nebraska potentially, but those because the, the because, big 10 passing offenses are not um, yeah right that's stealing a lot of confidence well that's because i was gonna say like that's minnesota can cover they just don't get the chance very often yeah um, i mean so I, like like purdue's the interesting one with with regard to that right because purdue's such a class like it's jeff brome they have all right. that that crazy talent at wide receiver last year it was a 34 31 game you know like that's that's exactly what I would ex- expect from Minnesota next year against you know when they play another team that that's not going to be able to stop them but can throw the ball. 
like it's going to be who it's going to basically be who's got the ball last and who makes fewer mistakes, right? Yeah, I think the and but I mean and that's one of those things when you start looking and being like, yeah, that Purdue game is going to be really interesting. That Nebraska game is going to be really interesting. Like, we're not doesn't ch- bode well. We're not chalking those up as wins well, for the Gophers. Well, back, back to your back to your comp with Michigan. I mean, I think we all said Michigan doesn't have a. Pr- I mean, there's not e- like we can't even envision a path in which Michigan contends for the East title. And I would argue right. the same thing's true about Minnesota. Oh yeah, and that like Iowa, Northwestern, and Wisconsin are demonstrably better, demonstrably better than the Gophers, and it's like they're they're not a they're not a contender for the West this year. No, no, and I think, and again, I'm just like I see, uh, you know, six losses that are just to me like I'm just circling six losses. I mean, number six is that buff Buffs game, but I'm circling six losses for them, and then you know. For them to bowl, they got to sweep the rest of them, which means they got to win all of these kind of toss-up games that we're talking about. And I just don't know. Like, I, if you ask me in terms of tipping which of the two ways that it could go, I think I'm going to tip negative. And that's with all the respect in the world for Ibrahim, who I love, and I truly believe he's one of the Big Ten's probably three or four best running backs um, and has never not impressed me. Um, but I just... I don't think Morgan's got the scheme or the weapons to help him out, and I, they just don't have anything else. And I think that's a recipe for disaster. And and, and part of that, too, is um, I do kind of feel like the ship is slowly starting to sail on Brom. On um, on Fleck. Yeah, I, I was I was just about to ask, like, it's you know, how much more is, you know, is Fleck starting to wear out his welcome? I mean, he... He is who he is. And like shtick and all, whether that's shtick or whether that's him, that is who he is. And, you know, he's always been like that. But is that starting to rub the people the wrong way? Is that starting to wear out his welcome? I don't, I, I don't know. I, I guess I should, I should go ask some people. I don't think so. I think people are pretty yeah, happy I don't think him. so either. I, I mean, that 2019, like, so, I mean, last year, you know, we, we're doing all these previews as if last year was a real year and it was not... Not not a real year, but like there were a lot of variables and a lot of outliers, right? And so that doesn't change anything about what happened or what occurred last year. I'm not trying to discount last year, but in terms of inferring what matters this year based on last year, right? There could be some discrepancies there. And I think I think people are willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. If this year goes poorly, and I think poorly would have to be a losing record. I mean, if they you know, if they hold serve against this really tough schedule go bowling win a bowl again and like let's say that wide receiver um dylan wright shows up and looks like rashad bateman 2.0 like people are still going to be all in on this team next year by the way their their recruiting class was absolutely bonkers this past year and it's um, just not a pressure cooker in minneapolis no it, it, like. it really it really isn't now that being said like um glenn mason and tim brewster and i forget if there's another you know uh, milk toast coach in there, but these guys all, all, they basically they couldn't get over the hump, right? They could go nine and three against cream puffs. And then they would lose all their tough games, uh, in the big 10. And it was generally on, on the offensive side, right? Like, well, until Jerry kill came along until Jerry kill and Tracy clays changed the culture to exactly the point John made. Like I, th- I think 
P.J. Fleck probably needs to take a hard look at his coach, who he hired away from Rutgers uh, on the defensive side, Joe Rossi. <laughs> yeah, and, and I'm think sorry, about, like, is, hired away from Rutgers. That's, that's just hilarious. <laughs> I did that on purpose. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, but, like, if he's gonna if he's gonna turn things around, I mean, I like I don't, so, so at, at the same time, it's an offensive game now, right? And if he if he can continue to bring in NFL caliber caliber receivers, whether through transfer or recruiting, like I don't, I don't know, they got this they got this absolutely baller uh, Greek quarterback coming in as a freshman this year. He's not going to play, but um, they got him and his brother uh, as a wideout. Like like the recruiting class is awesome. Um, I mean, there's going to be a lot of talent uh, floating around Minneapolis going into 2022, and it's going to be unproven. But like, like I, I don't know. I like I think it's pretty I mean, early to be bailing on Fleck. Well, I guess and, is what I'm well and we and we all like Fleck, right? Like I think sure. you know he's yeah. he he came in at, at you know at, at a time where like Minnesota really needed a guy like that. He really is like a culture guy in a general sense, right? He's a guy that players love to play for, right? He's a guy. It's easy to love as a fan. Um, and I think this was not intentional because, of course, the circumstances when he came in. But when he arrived, I think what, what a lot of people don't understand, and this is what I was sort of talking about in, in my defensive side of the preview, is there was going to be a potential for a perfect season to come. And the Gophers came about as close as you could come in 2019, yeah. right? All the everything aligned at the exact right time, where they still had all the big the defensive guys who were all recruited by the coach, the coaches before Fleck, and Fleck put it all together on the offensive side of the ball, and it just clicked, and they won 11 games. Um, and the right, like I think the, the big thing is. The culture going forward, I think, is going to be an offensive-driven culture, and and you know he may be able to do that, but I think it's it's still Minnesota, and there still is just a cap of what you can do there, and I think within that, everything came together in that 2019 season, and now I think he's looking at a little bit of a reset. So you know, if things really go south, if they go like two and ten or three and nine this year, which is not impossible, like it that could happen. Um, I I think then, that's impossible. I mean, unless Ibrahim gets injured, I think that's impossible. Well, so that's the thing. I mean, again, it's like your it's all about how do they match up against Purdue, Nebraska, Maryland, and Illinois. Like that's that's what it comes yeah. down to, right? And I think they're the every one of those teams is is a bad defensive team. Um, Nebraska is the best of the bunch defensively, and you know, offensively they all have their warts. They all have certain things that they can do. Um, and it's, it's, it totally may be true that none of them can do any one thing as well as Minnesota can run the ball and that may carry the day. Um, but you know, so either way, right. I think like, even if they have like a really dog season, like I don't think flex in any danger. I just wonder if that will start to be the thing that like, look like this, this team had its shot. It all came together that was the peak and now we're just going to kind of tread water on the rest of the Fleck administration. But like Scott said, he's high energy. He can recruit. He still has a chance, you know, if he can put together a, another great season in his own image, then, you know, maybe he's not out the door. What would be more surprising an eight win season or an eight loss season? Eight loss. I mean, no, I'm sorry. More surprising and eight more surprising. Win season eight, eight for me an eight win season. I just because that would mean starting to dent this group of teams that to me are just on another plane than Minnesota. Um, I mean, it's you know, 
it's gonna it's gonna remain to be seen in November, like who's who's injured and who's not, right? Right. Um, I will say it is too bad for the Gophers that they don't get any November home games that matter. And what I mean by that is that you know they play Illinois on November sixth. I think they're gonna beat Illinois regardless. Like wherever they play them, I think they're much better than Illinois. And then the other home game they have in November is against Wisconsin, who's not gonna care two wicks that it's four degrees outside. But if that if they were if they were hosting Indiana on November twentieth and you got like a a cold ass snow game, and they don't have Penix, let's say, or 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 like Penix is just like where the hell am I? What is going on? Um, right. I mean, like, so that like that, that's one of the small advantages that that the Gophers do have playing in that outdoor stadium that they don't get any benefit from this year. Um, but I like I like I think. It, it would it would be a, a, a penixless Indiana or maybe if if Petrus goes down for Iowa or something happens with Iowa's defense or um, you know Northwestern's quarterback situation is is a, a train wreck a la 2019 like like those are the factors to me that would have to have to be in play for them to to you know try to punch through that that seven win ceiling if they do get to eight wins Sammy uh, they're gonna be looking pretty awesome come November because they're going to have all of eight of those wins. I feel like by the time November <laughs> arrives. <laughs> so when we did our Ohio state preview, I mean, we, we, we gave, you know, the smallest bit of lip service to the idea that the Gophers might be a tough matchup for Ohio state in week one. I mean, like, do, do we think that's at all plausible given if, brand new if, QB if, and everything if else? Tan- if Tanner Morgan can throw on any team in the Big Ten, he can throw on the Ohio State Buckeyes. <laughs> We're gonna find out if, if 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 Tanner Morgan cannot throw against that team, Minnesota's looking at a rough season throwing the ball. Let's put it that way. I mean, all eyes are gonna be on Minneapolis. You know that you know Ohio State doesn't usually open up on the road, and on a Thursday night too. Thursday night. Yeah. I mean, it, it's not it's not happening, but you know. You do you do stop and think like half a second. It's yeah. pretty wild to think that they opened last year hosting Michigan and got absolutely smoked. Oh, they got curb stomped by Michigan. Yeah, and everyone thought, "Oh, Michigan is good," and then Turn, they, turns out they, neither they of them were. <laughs> not not <laughs> right. so much. Yeah, that, that was, they were both ranked going into that game, huh? Yep. <laughs> I don't. So I don't say I will. Oh gosh, I'm between four and eight and five and seven. I just see six losses for them to start out, and then I just don't think they'll sweep Illinois, Maryland, Nebraska, and Purdue. I don't think they're winning all those games. Um, I'm going to give them six and six. I think Ibrahim and that and that O line are too good. Um, I, I think they'll be able to to win win the games that they should, but um, they're going to lose the games that they that they should as well. I'm wondering if they don't like pick up a game that they shouldn't. I mean, I, I I'm still going six and six. I think they drop maybe one that they should and win one that they shouldn't. I don't know. I think we all want that to be Ohio State, so let it be true. Oh, Go of course, ahead. yeah. <laughs> Come on, ghosts. Like, or like beat a Colorado and lose to a Maryland. They lost to Maryland last year. I mean, it was an o, it was in double OT, but a regular OT. Um, oh oh, Minnesota's going to be a fun watch this year. A lot of shootout football for the. A lot of uh, a lot of high scoring games I feel like for the Gophers this year. 
Oh, well, let's go ahead and close the door on Minnesota. Um, head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Pirates. You can always email the show, westlawpirates, at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the west side of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe, Eric Skazboy, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.